Hi, welcome to Ghostman Radio Station, and my guest tonight is a legend. Well, he says he's a legend in his own lifetime, but I don't believe him. He's the man. Who says he's the man? Oh, he could be the man, but John says he's just a troublemaker. But who does John, what does John Jones know? His name is Nigel Wright, and who is Nigel Wright? Well, if you've been in the CSF world, you probably know who he is. But hey, he's going to tell us some tales of how he got into the CSZ, and a little bit about his... Small adventures. <laughs> how can anyone have small adventures with John? Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. How are you? Okay. Yeah. Now, how, tell me, how did you get into the CFZ? I, I heard you say to me earlier, it's a very strange story. It is. It was a, a matter of coincidence. Although John says he doesn't believe so much in coincidences, but this was purely. It came at the right time in my life. Um, I've been a cabbie, taxi driver, I've worked my way up to being owner-driver, a privateer, and I was bored. I was, I, I was getting bored with the monotony in the hours, and I was ready for a change. Now, I've always been into the paranormal. Not cryptozoology so much, in fact, hardly anything up to then. Mainly UFOs and ghosts, what have you. And um, I said to I said to the wife, I, I really want to change. I want to, I want to do something a bit more creative than driving a cab rank So, um... One day I was sat on the rank and I had the radio on. It's a nice day, a bit like today. And I was listening to her, having a cigarette, having a cup of coffee. And John came on to the local radio in Devon. He was with Graham. And they were doing a thing called Weird About the West. And uh, there was an art. There was a discussion going on about this is 1997. There was a discussion all about um, the UFO waves that were going on over Xmas. And I was already sort of involved in the pub- publicity side because I'd, I'd started doing a. Uh, a freelance column for the local Exmouth Journal newspaper, and um, I, I disagreed permanently with some things that John said about it, so I thought, I'm not standing for this. So I grabbed 50p of loose change at the, the taxi man uh, owner, went into the phone box next to his car, and phoned up the studio, got through to John, and I said, look, I disagree with this. We had a, a pleasant but uh, cool conversation on air. And he said, well, we must meet up someday, we'll discuss this further. With that, that was it. Put it down, went back in the car. Now remember, I'm a freelancer by then, I'm on my own, I'm my own boss. So I thought, what the heck with this? So I found the wife again, I said, I'm, I'm going, going out for the afternoon, I'm going up to Exeter. So I took up up to Exeter, got to Radio Devon, uh, badgered them into getting John's home address, which I shouldn't have got, but I did, and um, sat outside waiting for John to come home. And uh, I don't think John did quite make it a stranger who sort of stood there waiting around his door. Got yakking, and um, one thing led to another. I didn't get back to about 11 o'clock. I don't know until we've been sat there and come 20 or 30 cups of coffee. We turned out to be uh, getting on quite well. And eventually became mates, and eventually I agreed to join the CFZ as a researcher. And that's that's history. That's how it started. Now, in your research, what things have you come across that people may or may have not heard of? Um... Well, the first thing I ever researched with John, it was, they were in the middle of it then, but it's a, a thing that John calls a weird wobbling, weird wobbling what's it, and it was a, a strange creature that was being heard in a house up near the Capitol pub up by the extra training, extra city football club, uh, training grounds, and there was this, this insect-y sort of sound being made in this, outside this lady's house, and they get really worried, worried about it, and John and the crew were up there, and Nine o'clock every night, this weird sound was being heard. Nobody knew what it was. It was a warbling sort of sound. And eventually, they tracked it down, tracked it down. 
they moved this wardrobe back and it was a Japanese alarm box going off. An amplified wardrobe and it caught the case of the weird wobbling Watson. And, um, and I think there was uh, wallabies that were being seen uh, somewhere up country. can't remember that. I mean, there's so much, you know, you've got, you've got to remember that John, John was sort of writing at the same time. Uh, we were, he was doing TV work. We were also bouncing all over the country doing interviews and bits for telly. Uh, but they were doing a, we ended up doing a pilot show for uh, a third man production center for a West Country series which was going to be called Weird About the West, funny enough. Um, sadly, it did come up with a week's filming of that. So, you know, it was always go. It was a creative sort of atmosphere, mega creative. Make them mad sometimes, but it was it was fun. And on top of that, we were dealing with one of the biggest UFO waves East Ham had ever seen. You know, we're 100, 100 sightings in a matter of about two or three months. Well, I, I know there was a UFO sighting by two police officers near Holsworthy in Haverley. I know that one. Yeah, that was in 1967, I think. Why not? The Flying Cross. Is that the one you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this was, oh, this is in 1997. Around the district of Exmouth, uh, uh, Buddy Sultan, Woodbury Common, that seemed to be the centre of it, but that, that doesn't surprise me. But it's through down into the Sidmouth Valley, and uh, Otter, uh, Otter Valley, and that rather. And it, it, everything from flying axe shapes to uh, cigar shapes with wings that were rotating in the middle of the night. And like I say, they were keeping me awake. I was writing my bit for the local paper, as I said. My phone number was foolishly put included. I would get calls at sort of three o'clock in the morning from old ladies who were jumping up and down, and their voices were going because they were leaping on the bed with a pair of the old man's binoculars, keeping an eye on this thing. Um, these cigars, and and John and I did the research. And I went down to the local libraries, and we found out that um, well, I sort of came across the fact that this thing was happening every ten years on the dot. It happened in ninety-seven. 87, 77, right back to 1907. And it was always the same sort of time between May and September. Then nothing. Ten years, hardly a thing. And you had, uh, we had, at the same time, we had lit up creatures running across the road. We had undersea lights coming up, USOs. And we had um, mutilated whale. And that I investigated personally, and that stank. Oh my God, that was the most boring investigation I've ever had in my life. A fully grown um, pilot whale on the beach, and it had been mutilated the same as a, a cow mutilation occur. Its bottom jaw was missing, and its rectum had been um, literally cored out. It was a um, fascinating time. Fascinating time. So, there you are. <laughs> like I say, it was uh, busy, you know? They just, it was never ending. Didn't you tell me to say that you said to tell about something to do with Loch Ness? Something about Loch Ness? Yeah, um, John mentioned the expedition to Loch Ness. The CF said always has, I don't know if it still does, but always had expeditions and outings to all sorts of places all over the world. And um, one of the ones that John went on, I couldn't go on for because I had a family and I was sort of tied up, was to Loch Ness. And uh, John had a theory, and I think he's probably spot on, that the, the Nessie that's seen is a form of mutated. Um, giant eel, and it comes up through and uh, on, on via the sea roof, via the canals. So, uh, it was, he did, went to Loch Ness, we did, uh, there was, uh, oh, Christ, Moses, me, 
there was a, a sort of Mothman. We did the Mothman investigation in Cornwall. That that was in Alman, I should say. And well, and then Cornwall, and Southern Cornwall, where two young girls saw a, a humanoid sort of uh, shaped moth of uh, Owlman up in a tree with burning red eyes and ran off screaming and that was we went down to some filming on that and uh, ended up with local witches doing an initiation ceremony to try and bring this, this creature out of the woods it was um, it's hard to describe one particular thing that you did because everything was different, we had big cat sightings, we've done big cat hunts we've even had um, a very sort of weird creature, and I'm, for life me, I'm lost now, but I'm talking about it yesterday, funny enough, and it, it's, it's been described by Red Indians as a, as a badger on steroids, <laughs> and it, it was um, seen up at Holden, because at Holden there's a pet cemetery, and um, the, 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 the victims of poor pets have been buried, were being dug up while they were still fresh and being eaten, and uh, we suspected that it was uh, one of these creatures on the loose because we sat there trying uh, with uh, night cam quarters and uh, setting humane traps and that. We never did quite find out what that was. Went up there hunting big cat as well. We found that bob cats have been released here during the war. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird when you go hunting big cat. As I say, for someone like myself who was new into crypto work and I had, no, I had never done cryptozoology before. Um, to, to go wandering through daylight, even in daylight, through somewhere like Holden Forest where the undergrowth is so thick. I just think, you know, a big cat can be like two or three feet away from you and you don't even know it's there. It's just quite frightening. Uh, quite frightening. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, what, what, what particular sort of branch of crypto do you want to know about? Because, like I said, there's so much we've been talking about going for hours. Um, it's... Well, that's what I find fascinating about the whole subject because I got into it accidentally because I was living in Walsbury and I wanted something to do so I looked up what CZ and I said oh, I'll be a volunteer and not knowing what I was going to get myself into and John said at the time once you're into it you get very addicted to it he said it's not he said it's not about the monsters you know that, that's the, the, the that's the glorified side of it but it's all about yeah. finding the new creatures and the and every time I see something I think it was recently a thing of archaeological report that they found the evidence, as far as they can date it, to 300 years ago to the first known shark attack in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, this is the sort of thing. I mean, it's like when um, we, we still get asked this day about these mutilated whales. There's no way to sort of tied together the fact that the last mutilated whale that was found in Exmouth, same sort of injuries, very rare thing called a Courier's Beach whale. They're so rare, they're only ever found in the Pacific, and they're not very often. And this thing was washed up in East Devon. And um, it was during another UFO wave. It was, it was just too weird, you know? And then you, you can't put the dots together because there's no dots to join. You've got to sort of fill in the dots yourself sometimes. That's a good way of putting it. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember that bit. Um, we, we did all sorts of uh, crazy things. We went up to um, Midlands, up, up near Cannock Chase. Uh, Some of them reported on national telly seeing a, a crocodile in a bloody uh, gravel pit, a big gravel quarry. And it was quite near housing estate. So it was interesting to think, and it was, it was quite dangerous, potentially dangerous, because kids used to swim in it. 
and then GMTV got hold of it and they had plastic crocodiles being held by the kids. There were crowds gathered and so we mounted a big um, CFZ expedition up there. I took my separate seater up in another car and, and we had um, Richard Freeman, the zoologist with us, um, John, myself, I can't remember, um, oh, Graham. So Graham and Graham and uh, Richard, Richard was doing the zoology bit, but they were also mounting a, a little like inflatable dinghy thing, and to their credit, and going across this gravel pit with a sonar and trying to find this thing. They found the, the uh, nest where this uh, crocodile was, was nesting in long weedish type place and slithering down into, into the water. And uh, Graham was able to, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Richard was able to tell that it was a, well, probably a four foot African spotted croc. So John and I put our journalistic heads on and went undercover. And uh, John put a few feelers out as an experienced zoologist. Uh, I was going to be the beginner collector sort of thing, the naive one. And uh, we wanted some sort of nice, unique insects or creatures. And then we ended up going down Essex and going to a dealer who was hidden away in a nursery of all places. And uh, we found out that there was a local dealer at Birmingham that had gone out of business and his garage had loads of creatures and he released them all, including an African croc into this gravel pit. Um, wouldn't have survived long, they don't, they don't survive too well in cold weather. But he'd been terrapins into a, turtles into a local uh, canal and uh, American corn snakes onto a kind of coast. So yeah, I mean, it, nine times out of ten, like you say, it's normal creatures. The whole idea of cryptozoology is not so much wild monsters as they're great. It's the fact that so known creatures but in the wrong location. You know, well, you find things that shouldn't be there. <laughs> I was watching something about the Amazon the other day. Um, and they were saying this they they reckon there's species in there that we'll never even know they exist. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean you've got reports of the snakes big enough that they actually crush horses to death in the Amazon. I mean, nothing, there'd be reports of some snakes, some types of snakes that are 30, 40 feet long. Oh, they're gigantic things. They're not monsters, they're just unknown species. We've had another report today I've, I've been reading about uh, known, known species of shark that has been found. Completely unknown. And there's photographs there now it's been caught. Um, so, you know, it's always something new to learn. It's a never-ending subject. But it's brilliant fun. You know, it's... it's it does hook you. John's quite right. It does hook you. Because, from my point of view, I've got such a wide background in the paranormal anyway. I've been into the paranormal since I was eight years old, and I had my first UFO experience, so, and I lived in a haunted cottage. So, and I, you know, I come from a country background full of both sides were farming families. So I've had background of, of, of tales and folklore. I have uh, ancestors who were wards of Dartmoor, and tales of Dartmoor come down through to me. So I've had this background in the paranormal, but having done crypto, that was one missing piece, and I found that cryptozoology and ufology and all the other ologies you want to name, they all sort of got one common band. It's the golden holy grail of paranormal research, to find a thing that links it all together. And there is a link between the whole lot of it. But my mind, the whole link is electromagnetic fields and energy. Energy is the, the one key thing, um, and the more I've gone into it over the 20 odd years of doing professionally now, the more I'm certain of the fact that, you know, it's an interdimensional energy thing. So, 
you know, I could speak for hours on that, probably bore everyone silly, so I hope. <laughs> well, that's, that's my... All through history there's been um, strange and weird events. I think there was a... I think I'm right, there's a UF sighting they reckon that's in the Bible. It's said yeah, to be a UF sighting in the Bible. Ezekiel looked up into the sky in the desert and uh, saw what he described as a fiery, flaming chariot wheel going through the sky. Well, it's probably their best way of describing the UFO given their technology. You know, and if you go into a place, things like the uh, Marema Randa, when you're going to have to forgive my pronunciation, I'm no good at Indian. It's an ancient Indian script, it's nearly 50,000 years old. And there you will find uh, definitions of flying pyramid, flying craft. Uh, powered by liquid mercury. You'll find descriptions of atomic warfare. You'll find all sorts of this stuff in, in volumes 40 to 50,000 years old. The history is there. Um, it's just that conventional history historians and archaeologists sort of shy away a little bit. They don't want their reputations ruined. So, you know, it's easier to dismiss and ignore than it is to be brave and come out right and say, look, we don't know everything. You know, we're still learning got a heck of a lot we do know we won't admit to and a heck of a lot to learn still and uh, it, we're getting there but it's going to be a few years yet well living in Devon and Cornwall I know about the magical world of Merlin and how the, and, and obviously there's lots of theories about Merlin I I like the theory that I think that Merlin and King Arthur like a combination of set characters probably around that time that everyone sort of joined together a bit like Robin Hood and I think that's oh. why, and that's why we've got such a strong connection with paranormal down here, because of that well, you know, reason. Yeah, I, I, I started off. I'm a West Countryman. Um, I'm, I'm a West Countryman also. I was born in Somerset, but a Dorset mum and Devonshire dad. I couldn't have been. I lived most of my life. I've only been up north for about ten or so years now. So I'm a very proud West Countryman. And uh, I, my, 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 the murders and the Arthurian legends are a particular liking of mine. But it you put on a on a real good note for me on that one. Um, Arthurian legend, well, you don't forget a lot of it is medieval. Um, a lot of it was sort of invented by Tudor uh, and pre-Tudor writers who romanticised Arthurian legends a lot. They did a lot more romanticising of it in the 19th century, same as they did with, um, with uh, ancient religions. And if you go back, I the uh, best historian, historical guess of Merlin, I think I tend to agree, he was a bloke called Arthurius, who was a Romano-British warlord, probably from the Welsh borders. And Merlin was probably a Welsh um, sage, wise man, seer, called what they like, magician, who, who was by Merlin's or Arthurius' side, mother. Um, where? The location? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, where was Arthur based? Where was Camelot? Well, we could go to Cabri in Somerset, you could go to Glastonbury, uh, you name it. You could even go down to Cornwall. Um, don't forget that uh, his his wife, um, Guinevere, was supposed to come from Lioness. Lioness supposedly lays beyond the southern tip of Cornwall, beneath the waves. And it said that on a stormy night, you can hear the bells of the churches of Lioness as on the seabed, ringing in the currents of the stormy seas. I mean, it's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Aren't we lucky to be in the southwest? <laughs> the paranormal peninsula is our background, you see. It's, it's a background of legend, um, stone circle religions, uh, Druidism, 
right up to pirates and wreckers. And the pirates and wreckers weren't beyond making up the odd ghost town legends of their own to keep the revenue men busy while they went about their business somewhere else. You know, uh, also, we got Stonehenge, didn't we? we just found at the corner, and obviously the history in Stonehenge. I mean, still to this oh, day, we still don't quite understand how we put the. We sort of think they might have rolled them to the site with, like, using the logs and that. That's possible, but how they upright them, I haven't got clue. Well, I think my my own personal theory is Stonehenge is no accident. That it goes right on the crossways of major ley lines. Major energy lines, earth lines, it's no coincidence at all. Um, I think it's, it's shape. It can either be, it may be a temple, but I don't think it was designed as a temple. I think it was designed as an electrical condenser. Basically, the idea being that if you uh, hold bluestone quartz crystal, it's a very funny thing, it transmutes energy, transmutes sound into energy. And if you get in the middle and start chanting away like crazy, uh, at a certain 38 megahertz, you're going to have lightning jumping from one stone to another because it transmits the sound energy into electrical energy bolts. No magic, but a pure science. And the shape of that, and I think the wizards knew this, if they had the stone, crystal stone circle around that precise point, it would generate a field, an energy field, that would hold and condense that energy. They're very clever people. I think we underestimate the ancients. Oh, I've always believed that. I've always said that we under, uh, misunderstood the cavemen as such, or the, oh. because yeah. that 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 was their that's they, that they had to live on the run. We forget that everything they did, they had to do to survive. <laughs> yeah, but they did it to survive. But they also, at the same time, I think man's always had this thing about curiosity, you know, and you you know through all the ages, whatever time they lived in. always had people who had really good IQs and had a probing mind. And the people who had a probing mind um, found ways of, of using that mind to advance the courses of science and advance their own, their own ways of doing things. And I think part of that has been lost over time. We have lost it again. And we've nothing to do. We've just had to rediscover it. Bit by bit again, all over again. We're finding the same, wherever you go, there's records of flying craft right back through the millennia. But now we've had, you had flights since 1903, well, 1903, Wright Brothers. I think there was a British inventor that invented the fireplane first, but his wasn't, he didn't have a flight as such that was recorded. I think he, I think he invented it because it was on, one of those antique road shows, you know, when they do the antique road trips, is one of those little was, clip things. I think the one you're on about, there's a gentleman in adventure, what we like, what we would call our, uh, well, now means, but he was an inventor at the same time. But believe it or not, he built a small steam-powered um, flying machine. And this thing was supposed to float him and his coachman across a valley on his estate. But unfortunately, there's no witnesses. There was no witnesses to the event. And uh, that was back in the 1800s, way back in the 1800s. And I mean, it was it, it was recorded by the man and the coachman, but not by no one else. So therefore, it can't be officially listed as the first powered flight. Now, the heck, he ever built a steam engine small enough to, to actually achieve heavier than air flight with two people on board? Well, having a, you know, mathematically, 
an engineering wise it shouldn't be possible but um, we did apparently but yeah you're right I mean history and the paranormal I, you know I hate paranormal and supernatural uh, these sort of events are all history is full of them you know you can, you can take it and say oh crikey that shouldn't have happened then and because it doesn't fit in they get dismissed by by historians or they get dismissed by archaeologists the museums of the world are full of things that cannot be rationally explained by our known or recognised histories or archaeology so we just get shoved away and forgotten about the fact that museums it's a shame it's a shame because you could rewrite the history of mankind if these things were taken out really closely and you know with no discrimination at all examined properly because well so you're saying that, but in archaeology, there have been proof of actual places that have been found to relate to the Bible. And I know for a fact that women were written out of the Bible because I think one of the, the emperors didn't quite like women, so he just basically wrote them out. Well, you've also got the fact that the Bible today obviously goes back to King James I. But then you go back, the Bible was rewritten before that, in Tudor times. The Bible has gone through, and Pope, I think, rewrote it twice, the Pope at the time. So, you know, the ancients, you go back, I think the Dead Sea Scrolls are about the nearest you're going to get to an accurate Bible. Um, it's been rewritten time and time again throughout history. We're lucky that we've got enough, you know, any of it left at all, basically. Um, I mean, I'm, I speak as a Christian, yeah, I mean, it's great that um, there are some things. When you talk about find uh, a dinosaur print and a sandal not a foot a human footprint a human sandal print with hobnails in it in the same strata layer of rock now that shouldn't happen that is like 60 odd million years thrift by conventional history but you've got there's a, a place in the American Library uh, Museum I, I couldn't tell you I can't remember it I should have made notes but these two things are laying side by side the same strata of rock these two fossilized prints not a fake, it was dug up and it was put straight to the museum at the time. It's been ever since. What it is, how come it happened, I've not got the foggiest idea. It's not alone, you've got lumps of coal with shredded screws gone through them that have been dug out from a layer that was laid down years ago. You've got these oddities that shouldn't really exist. And I just think they deserve a fresh, good scientific examination. Let's get to the bottom of why these things exist at all. They're not fake, they're just oddities. They need to be really thoroughly examined. It might be rewrite history. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit like this pandemic. I've been studying history. I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to state that now. It's nothing to do with science. I'm doing it through history, not science. Every pandemic we have, we've come out of it. Whether it's killed a lot of people or not, we've actually come out of it. So I do believe we'll come out of this one. But not because I'm a scientist. I'm only going by the evidence of history. Yeah. I mean, the, the difference you've got this time, um, there is one major difference. If you don't mind saying so. Now I'm going to, just having a debate here, hopefully, friendly debate. Uh, the one difference you've got is this is a man-made virus. The rest have been natural selection, natural virus. This is a man-made thing. I have no doubt whatsoever this is a biological weapon type virus was man-made. It's been adapted from a natural uh, virus. And it's quite nasty because it's got, it's got a lot of habits of changing. Um, all viruses change. They, 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 
um, uh, mutate. This thing seems to be very intelligent. It mutates quicker and mutates in different sort of directions. And you're aware of this. I'm not a scientist, but I've done a lot of reading on it. And um, there was a bad accident, or it was done on purpose. No one knows. No one will think will ever know. I don't think you ever get to the bottom of it. Will it go away? No. It might die down. Hopefully, we'll we'll find better and more thorough vaccine. It can only have to take months, but. I think we're going to go through a period where you're going to have to keep having different boost shots on the thing until at such a time to A either dies away or we find a more effective more advanced well, uh, vaccine. Well, if we, we all had a time machine like the Doctor Who and we could actually time travel forward, I think there's a theory that we can time travel, so I don't think it's true. <laughs> but um, we go there and what would we find? Would we like what we find? That's the trouble. We go, oh my shit, I don't want to go there. I want to go back. <laughs> well, I, th- I, think, I, think, I, think, um, I think the future of mankind has been proven anyway because people say they've travelled forward and backwards anyway. We had time travellers coming backwards from 23 something I was reading the other day and they suddenly vanish again. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think time travel has probably been achieved. We had that American gentleman who played work for the CIA and... Uh, Quite an intelligent guy. I think he was a doctor or a lawyer or something. And he was, he claimed to be president of the Abraham's uh, Lincoln's address to the um, Civil War troops. And there's a photograph of him as a young boy. Actually, stood there listening to him, and it's definitely him. Um, who knows? Who knows? But it's a lovely thought, isn't it? You could travel. I'd love to travel all the time. I don't know about you, but I would really like it. I'd, I'd always like the idea of traveling the time. And yes, I was Doctor Who a lot when I was younger too. <laughs> I, I love I love Doctor Who. I I don't like it so much now, not because of the actress being a female. It's nothing to do with that. I think that just the stories have downgraded a little bit now. They've gone a bit wokeified. They they are not as scary as they used to be. I love a good old scary Doctor Who. Ah uh, yeah. I mean, my I went to Doctor Who convention at Wilburn Abbey years ago, and uh, the first thing I saw was about a nine foot Cyberman that scared the hell out of me. And it was, um, that was interesting, but I actually got, to, we went into one of the question and answer session things, and there was John Pertwee, there was Tom Baker, there was all the, the great doctors all on one table then, and it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, it was like a childhood dream come through, you know? Um, John Pertwee and I had a great conversation, because John was an extra lad, his parents ran a pub, just an extra of Exeter. My mother knew um, she used to play piano there during the war. <laughs> so it was, it was all you know, uh, circumstantial things happen again, don't they? I mean, it was coincidences, as they say. Well, I think it's good. I think it, 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 it's. It, I, I like. I, I'm a great believer. I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek. There's a program called Voyager. Yeah. And in the Voyager, yeah. it's called the Borg. Now, I think the Borg are the Daleks as humans. Because they're virtually indestructible, they can adapt, they can do anything, and I think that's like the Daleks. They're exactly well, like I'm the Daleks. I'm not so much a Voyager fan, but I'm definitely a Star Trek. I watched the original right from when I was a lad. I watched it from day one on, on the English television. And I watched it right up until um, Star Trek uh, The Voyage Home. And I, I, I've, um, I, I have watched with interest how. Uh, scientists are supposedly developing warp drive, 
and I, I'm thinking to myself, I think we've probably got it already, but they're not letting us know it. Um, funny enough, I've been watching, I've been looking at some photographs this morning of a wedge-shaped craft photograph of broad daylight on a low level in America. And you can you can magnify it up. You definitely see a USA a pilot in a cockpit, but it's unlike anything we've ever seen publicly. It's some sort of flying FT sort of shape. It's got a clear cockpit, and there's a pilot's head with a mask and the helmet on. As clear as day. There and there's no exhaust. View. There's no there is no visible exhaust. Did you see the thing in the paper about the Star War? project they want to start. I remember, I remember Ronald Reagan start talking about that years ago in the 80s. He was a considered nutter. But now they're saying they're putting billions of pounds into it. Yeah, but you had a story about Reagan when he had Spielberg uh, came and give a private showing of E.T. And he apparently allegedly turned to Spielberg at the White House as was a private, private showing because he wanted to see it. So Spielberg obliged him, obviously, being a president. He got what he wanted. And afterwards, he turned to Spielberg and he said, if you only knew how close to the truth you are, unquote. And that gave mm. the president himself, you know. Um, do they know? Of course they know more. It would be fool, very foolish person who said, we know everything the government's get up to in the world. Of well, of course, because they hide things. They're not going to tell us every little thing, are they? Well, I know for every hundred cases you get about UFOs, you could probably dismiss about 70% of them. Then the never, so that 10% you could give a bit. But it's probably about, what do you think, about 20% that you can't define? Well, if you, if you count from the age of eight now, I've been in for 55 years. And as that, I would say now a good 90 to 95% you could dismiss. At the end of it, at the end of the day, through no malice, I mean through natural misidentification of planetary systems, aircraft, blah blah blah. You know the you know the score. And out of that five percent, three percent could probably be explained through black technology, military, test aircraft, drones, you name it. But then you come down to that final two or three percent that there are no rational explanations for. That you cannot just explain away by any conventional means. And that's the part that you politicists are interested in. That's the part that holds our fascination. Holds our mind. I've had the luck to see, I've seen two fine triangles, one of which was really close up, right over my house. And I can face for the fact, always been into aircraft as well, and my dad was an engineer on that, that I, it had no propulsion like we've ever got on Earth. It's obviously some system that they developed that we know nothing about. This thing was the size of a 747 at least across. It had nine engines. They were lit up at the back, so there were obviously some sort of propulsion exit. But it made no noise, zero noise. It was about like 200 feet above my head, and it made no noise. None. Gone. Just stepped towards the later street. 
vanished. And I just stood in my gobble quite honestly, I didn't know quite what to make of it. I was fascinated, I was pleased to have seen it, but in a little way it was scary, if you know what I mean, to begin with. That, that primeval sort of fear comes over you, when, when it does most humans. When you first see something you don't understand, the, the primeval instincts take over, and you're sort of scared, you go into defensive mode, and the hair goes up on your arms, and all this sort of thing. But for a second or two, then the fascination takes over. And then the, 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 I want to see more, I want to know more. What does your wife think of all your little exploits that you've been on? <laughs> well, I'm very lucky, you see, because um, Sue is a natural clairvoyant and clair, um, um, a medium clairvoyant clairaudient. She's uh, seen and spoke to the deceased spirit. She's used a schoolgirl, but she's never used it professionally. She's never exhibited publicly. Anything like that. She won't make any money on it. She doesn't want to. But I'm very lucky that she accepts what I say and what I do. She shows an active interest and we do things together, don't we? Um, you know, we do... We she can come on, you know, because she can say hello. We don't mind. <laughs> say hello, Sue. Hello. <laughs> I tell you, I'll explain. I do not like history. Never have, never will. And I will go somewhere. Uh, an example, we went back to where Nigel's uh, relations all buried into the church sure. and I literally yeah. walked into the church and I could see this figure in a coat with weird little glasses and hair and I said to him well the vicar's there do you want to have a word with her and he goes where I said she stood at the pulpit and I was chatting and these ladies were doing fat sorrow arranging who knew Nigel's family and they were going that's the vicar who passed away she's gone, she's not there, but I can see her, and I haven't got a clue what, where, we often go off to places, and I'll say to Nigel, oh it's not good here, I don't like this, wasn't there a Viking or something here, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I see, I've got used to it, we had our house in Devon, um, I kept saying to him, there's a doctor looking for a nurse, um, his girlfriend, and they've separated, uh, Nigel will tell you the rest. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, yeah, well, we had a ghost activity in the house. We had hot coins appearing in the middle of nowhere on the floor that were hot to the touch, hot coins. We had uh, myself waking up, my wife seeing a guy with a sword and a military uniform, a uh, Napoleonic uniform, threatening to cut my head off. And he said I was sleeping with his wife. That's nice. Um, we had cigar, usual things, cigar smells and tobacco smoke and uh, there's no one smoking in the room. I had my kids talking to little children they saw in the bedroom, didn't they? And a dog that wasn't there. Um, and then it got so much so that the big bits of furniture and bits of furniture were being overturned by people in the room. And it was quite scary with young kids because our kids were very young then. So I, I eventually I did the research on the place and we found that this had been virgin farmland before the 50s. This housing estate then. So I thought that's odd. I dug back, dug back, and eventually, in the early 1800s map, I found that where our house had been had been a prisoner of war camp in the Napoleonic War. And when we tied in the actual um, uh, drawings and, and, uh, and measurements, it turned out the, the wall of the room, our front room, which is where the, most of this stuff sort of originated, was the back end of what had been a tented um, crisis ward for this hospital, the Napoleonic Wars. 
is where all the really badly injured people and dying people would have been kept. It's no wonder our place was alive for that activity. It was just incredible. And, yeah. and there was hospital nurses, there would have been doctors there, there would have been children, there would have been soldiers in uniform. So I am very used to Nigel going off and doing things. <laughs> Here go, I'm going off to investigate and I'll go, go on then. So, you know, well, I don't, I don't, that's how it works. I, I, don't, I quite uh, like hearing what he's done. <laughs> I, I don't do so much now, of course, because I've got the switch of disease and I can't breathe too good and I don't do the lecturing I did now. You can probably tell I get breathless sometimes. And... Um, I got rid of our so I can't wander around. Uh, much to my shame. But I do toddle, and I sometimes yeah. get my trolley. Last there night, is a church we want to go to. It's as you go through, it's like set back, and it's in. You go past all these woods and trees, and it to me, there's someone up there. That's well, really you, yeah, and, that, and I want that, to go there. It's, um, I don't know exactly. I can't remember now, yeah. but I know the road. But it's got an old Saxon church. You can tell it's a Saxon church. It's very squat, very square, very low, towered. Um, very old, and I must admit, I got past. I got, oh, I get feelings like it, but I don't, I'm not actually clairvoyant or anything like that, clairaudient. But Sue, she said, "Oh, God, this is full of evil. There's something bad there." So one day we're going to park up, and I'm going to take the trolley out. We're going to have a wander <laughs> around. We were like a sort of team. It's great fun, you know. It's a nice way to enjoy your retirement, isn't it? Chasing ghosts and your hopes. But there you are. Just got to do something. There you are. Well, as I say, it's such a fascinating world that we live in, and I just think people don't take no notice anymore. I think we're too stuck in reality TV. You know, it's all scripted, you know. Hello, how are you? I'm feeling fine, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, that's a mistake. We live in too much reality if we don't know our imaginations. I mean, no, no, you shouldn't let your imagination run away with you. But at the same time, you should encourage your mind to think, you know, you've got to, you've got to open your mind up. Rule number 101, you know, take the blinkers off and let your mind observe the wonders of the world and then start to question. To me, so I, I grew up in a period of ufology in the early 70s. Um, when I got to teenage age, I was always been a book reader. And I, I'm going to mention a name now, but everyone just go, Ugh. I started reading Harry Potter and books. And uh, Ray Danikin, for whatever reasons, he'd be you know, accused of various crimes and people whose evidence. But the one thing, evidence, you know, not from coming on, don't worry about the evidence. Let's just ignore the evidence he presented, which is hard. Let's just ignore that. He, I think, has a great, you know, we have a great debt, and that is that he took teenagers, particularly people like myself, my age group, and he allowed us to take the blinkers off question what we've been taught and that there was an alternative and that opened my mind. That's all it's about, just opening your mind up to the possibility that not everything is as it's written down. We've got a story. When our youngest was very little with her best friend, John took them down to where was it? Well the canal, wasn't it? To the canal. And they got themselves muddy, dirty but they were learning nature about the different creatures in the canal and all sorts of things. And he was absolutely loving it. And our daughter's now 22. And no joking, she still goes on about it occasionally if John's name is mentioned. So I think children are too much into computers and they just don't open their mind. If it's not 
a virtual game, they don't know how to. That's right. I get they them. literally don't. I get them to question things. Typically, I could say, well, no, this is the reason why, I don't know, I, it's a thing in history happened. Because I was taught that was it from a book. Don't stop them quizzing whether or not that's right, you know? Allow them to use their own sense of judgment about what's right, what's wrong, and if it doesn't tally with them, get them to think about what could be an alternative answer to it. I think it's just a question of taking the blinkers off. Removing the blinkers. Pure and simple. Anyway, that's me. Have you published anything, Nigel? Have you put anything in uh, book form? Well, John and, John, John and I, as you know, co-wrote a book together. Um, that's in the second publication now. I think you can still get hold of it. It's called The Rising of the Moon. Uh, it's out on Amazon Books, uh, new and second hand. Um, mainly second hand. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's, 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 uh, I, I wrote one, but I'm, I'm rewriting that at the moment. I'm doing my biography, my, my autobiography. That's going to be called Chasing the Shadows. I did one on on uh, Amazon Kindle, didn't I? And it was awful, but I did the printing were wrong on it. So I'm going to rewrite that. That should be coming out hopefully next year. Um, where I'm going to put all this detailed, all this stuff I've done. Because it's been a... Oh, God, it sounds corny. It's been a wonderful life. You know, it's, it's the last sort of 30 years, I had... I had cancer 33 years ago and it changed my life then and I thought my life was over the truth of the matter was the last 30 years has changed it all around again you married me well not only did I marry you and have kids I, I mean the paranormal thing and the life of John and CF said I owe John an enormous amount I'm not going to fuck wrong because poor John would get embarrassed otherwise but I owe him a lot he taught me a lot about journalism he taught me a hell of a lot about writing and taught a lot about cryptozoology and he opened up my world to Things I wouldn't have dreamt I'd done as a cabbie. I went on TV, I did radio, uh, I travelled to places I'd never been, I hunted wild animals, I stood in a in a, uh, a cage full of wild lynx. I were balanced two feet over my head, I touched and stroked a wild um, grown um, uh, timberwolf down at Dartmoor Sioux. Dartmoor Sioux was a nice tree. And yeah, you know, I just, I've been so lucky. I've been so lucky. I've, I've talked to people and met people. Um, you know, you think just when you're at your lowest point in life, you think nothing's ever going to go right again. Long comes coincidence again. Oh, mother coincidence, and it and it throws you up a fantastic whole new life. It's been great. Been well, I think the CFZ is a very good community because actually we're teaching kids a lot about new animals and how to look for them. You know, no, just no. don't believe it. Look for it. Look, study it. Yeah, just um, well, John was always for that. Right back when I started in '97, and we started doing the World um, Weird Weekends in 2000, or late night, I can't remember that. But we had, John was always wanting to do educational stuff for schools. And the job he had persuading the schools that cryptozoology was a science, and it was, a, it was you know, teaching kids about nature and that. Hell of a job to try and convince some education boards to, you know, accept the fact that we did, they just wanted to go and teach them about known creatures, not unknown ones, but known creatures, you know, and insects, and birds, and snakes. And we, I, we I do, I used to run brownies, and I asked if someone from the group could come down and give the brownies a talk. 
and Richard Freeman came down uh-huh. and he had a snake skin which was the prize on the drawer the prize if they could answer the questions and what he was saying wow. they and it. they absolutely loved it and I thought this is the way to go instead yeah. of just sitting here learning how to build a fire you know well, yeah, I mean, and cook survival, survival <laughs> and sing, you know, that's good things to learn but yeah. so is nature I'm a country boy, so is nature get out there and learn about butterflies and snakes and bats and rice and rats and fish you know, I'm Nobody says go out and learn about the Yeti, and thank you, we haven't got many in Devon. Uh, I'm sure there's that. We've got a few, but not many. But, you know, get out and learn about the simple things in life, and tell a bird apart from one bird from the other. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, while we've got them still, let's enjoy them. That's as simple as that. Why, we had some hedgehogs come in our garden oh, yesterday. My daughter's 23. 22. 23. Or 23, whatever. And she's a university graduate. Now you'd think that with a BA under her belt that she wouldn't be like, and she was out there crying because these two hedgehogs were a picture. She got a box and put them in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Crazy we've done like, I think we've done good thing in making them with a lot of kids and animals. So, so there you go. That's me. Well, I'm just going to put the, my video back on, so I don't, I haven't really annoyed you. It's just, uh, the reason why I didn't put my video on before, because sometimes the sound disappears on Zoom. So I've learned that trick, and everyone says, why do you not have your face mark? Because, hey, I was filming John at the same time, uh, John at the same time, and his wife at the same time, as well as being a podcast and doing other things and talking, and it's like too much for my brain on a hot day, and it's getting too much to me. <laughs> I get like that without the video. He gets that. I, I, have you noticed? I used to give talks, as you know, with John, and I'm like Todd. And when I get happy through a sentence, I get so excited about what I want to say that I forget the word. He won't take it. And I, I, you know, I could not think just now. I was all about the beaver on steroids, and I could I think of it? And all I could think about was the film Red Dawn, and they named the group that revolted against the Russians in America after this blooming. So I stuck my hand up and said, what time are we going home now? Yeah, yeah. Killed it. Finished it completely. You get, you get, you get, I, t- I took my daughter down to give a talk in Cornwall. Dave Gillum's, you have to go to the Cornwall, And uh, the week before, a very good mate of mine called, um, uh, there you go, you see, I get excited. Uh, Graham, Graham Birdsell, who was the founder of UFO magazine passed away very suddenly, very sad, and uh, I was a bit upset because I got involved with him. And anyway, I thought, well, I, I said to Sue, I better put a five minutes of eulogy to him at the end, you know, because he's a very well-known character in the UFO world. So I got this big photograph I found, a great one of photos, highly amusing, and it went up on an overhead projector, and I got my girl to put it on, as I said, I'd like to say a few words if I may at the end today, folks, uh, um, in memory of, of Graham Burns, who passed away. Very serious and very thoroughly well meant thing. And I started in and it giggles. They started giggling. I thought, they should be giggling. I was what the heck are they giggling about? I'm all about how sad it was it gone too soon. I was not laughing. And I look around and this thing is sinking slowly on the overhead projector and he's disappearing down beneath the bottom of the frame. And I think, quick to myself, and so people was 
as Graham slowly sinks into the sunset. We're saying, goodbye, Graham, I could have heard him, but it's yours. Uh, oh, you would have been in hysterics. I tell you, you would have been in absolute hysterics. Because it was one of those things that you just couldn't, you couldn't invent it, you couldn't make it up. It just happens, and as this were extremely quick thinking, you know. I think you would have laughed his head off at that. <laughs> so, Nigel, what, I always ask my guests the following question. What is your unique sign-off? What is your unique sign-off? My unique sign-off? Hmm. Um, till we discover the truth. I like that one. And my one for you to Nigel is the following. I told to Nigel right today, he's not the, he's a John Downs wannabe who people want to see. But he's not John Downs, he's just he. He talks about a lot of things that I ever know. And I hope one day he meets that UFO and the aliens say to him, Oi, Nigel, want to come and visit us? And he'll say, No, nah, thanks. I've got to stay with a wife. <laughs> well, I thank you for that. Well done, sir. Well done. Oh, dear me. I thought you were going to say you're going to meet one of John's back room boys. And he, you know, he used to call me, when, when I was part of a gang, he used to say that I was the posh one. I don't know where he got that from. I mean, considering John was probably squadron, I'm the posh one. I don't think so. Compressed school lad. But he used to make me laugh, you know. I used to, um, I used to have a little empty Van Dyke beard in those days. I don't know who I thought I was. But um, there you go. Anyway, look, thanks. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thank you, Nigel. I really appreciate this. I've really enjoyed it. And I'll put this on YouTube as fast as my little fingers will let me. And then you can play it to your heart's content, show it. Do whatever you want with it. I don't mind whatever you do with it. Can I take this very cheeky and plug a new series I'm going to be doing on YouTube? Of course you must plug everything, Nigel. That's what you're on the show for. Always plug. I'm a gentleman, I like to ask. Now, Sue and I, we've just converted our garage, or we're in the process of converting our garage to a proper studio. And we're going to be doing crazy ufologists speaks from Poppy Studios because we got poppies while poppies going in front of the garage because I'm too lazy to cut them down. So I'm going to call it the Poppy Studios and we're going to be talking about, well, paranormal anything in general. Just have a chat because we like chatting together on film. So they'll be coming out on, on um, probably on our crazy Politics YouTube channel pretty soon. No problem. Thank you. That's Thank okay. You there's no problem, and obviously you can listen to me on Ghost Main Radio Station, and look at me up on YouTube, and as I say, please subscribe and don't follow me, bye! <laughs> oh, don't follow me, don't follow the crazy apologists, oh, no, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> okay, thanks very much, I've really enjoyed it.